This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless a dead serial killer is murdering your friends in their dreams, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please seek out a doctor or emergency room. Unfortunately, the computer I normally use to edit this podcast has suffered an untimely death and took with it our intro sound effects. So here we go. Beep. 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 Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Vane. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Candy Corn is Awful, which is not a real podcast. It's just a public service announcement. Kind of true. <laughs> uh, this is Hi, Everybody, a bad medicine podcast. Every week we talk about Hollywood depictions of medicine and how the body works and yep. what they get right and wrong. And we are in the middle of Hortober. We are in the middle of Horrortober. Hortober. Where we're specifically looking at... Horror movies, suspense movies, suspense TV, all that sort of thing. Jackson, what are we talking about this week? So we're doing another movie, but we're doing Flatliners, but not the new one, the original one with Kevin Bacon and Kiefer Sutherland in 1990. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, it isn't made up solely of ghost deleted scenes. No. It's an actual movie, and uh, medically, how is it? It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Like, I don't know what kind of med school allows their med students to run amok like this, uh, maybe it, this is how it was in the 80s, even though this movie was made in the 90s. It looks like a movie that was made in the 80s. It was it was made in the 80s and released in the 90s, most likely, because it, it came out it's, Halloween-ish 1990. so dated, even by, like, 80s standards. Yeah. It's horrendous. But it's I don't know what kind of med school this is, because they let the med students run amok. There's no attendings. There's only You only see an attending one time in the beginning, and that's when he takes over for Kevin Bacon, who's doing unauthorized surgery on some lady now is it possible that this is some sort of post-apocalyptic 90s where there are no residents and med students rule the world i mean if that's the case then i don't want to live in that world okay so what is the general plot of flatliners so the general plot is Kiefer sutherland really wants to know if there's an afterlife so he comes up with this crazy algorithm to kill himself and then have him get brought back to life and okay. then he will report what's going on. And the entire time, like, Oliver Platt has, like, a recording where he dictates what's going on. Someone's videotaping him because they think this is going to be... Billy Baldwin is videotaping them. That's it, yeah. And then, but they think this is all going to be this revolutionary thing. But before we touch on that, we got to talk about how they set up some of the characters. Like, how Kevin Bacon is this cavalier greatest doctor that's not quite a doctor person in the world. He's like a combination of He's Kumar like- and House. I would say he's almost like the resident, the main resident in The Resident. Um, I'm a bad medical podcast guy. It's a terrible show, but like it's basically he knows everything and will do everything before an attending or a resident comes in because he knows way better than all of us. Got it. But the scene in particular is actually right in the beginning where they said um, some lady got ran over by a taxi and they're like pushing her through the halls running, which again, mm-hmm. if we've, I think we've touched on this before, you're not supposed to run in the ER, which I assume we're in the ER because there was another crazy patient that was screaming before that and Kevin Bacon's trying to calm him down, but basically just cussing him out. <laughs> but they said she's dropping her blood pressure and he just diverts them straight into the OR by okay. himself, which not a good thing. Um, so that was kind of weird. But also, uh, she had some kind of weird breathing tube in, but no one's giving her any air. But then he goes, I need to get a scalpel and a forcep. And the tools that he are, are using, not what he called for. Okay. 
and he just slices her open. No anesthesia, mind you. Just cuts her right open and goes, I'm looking for something. I'm trying to find it. And he's digging around and goes, I think I got it. And just, um, and then the nurse confirms that he got it by saying, you got it. And then the attending comes in to save the day. And he just walks out pissed off that the attending stole his procedure. So there's so, so much. In the event of getting hit by a taxi. Yeah. What is it exactly that the doctors are looking to cut? Well, here's the thing. Blunt trauma itself is not known to be very survivable. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, blunt trauma versus penetrating trauma. So blunt trauma, you got hit by a a taxi. You're injuring multiple organs. It's really hard to find out what is injured because it's all mush, Mm -hmm. right? You got bruises, you got tears. It's not a clean cut at all. Whereas if you got shot, you can find the source of bleeding ligate it or just stop the bleeding at that point and you're okay what it sounds like he was trying to do um sounds like he was trying to do what we call aortic cross clamping what that is is you're trying to go below as low as you can on the order and just clamp it so that you don't you kind of go you know what lower extremities screw you we're gonna forget about you as long as we perfuse the brain we'll be okay and we can work on lower extremities with a little more time. Yeah, once we can less. find out where the, the the other source of bleeding is, we can stop that and stabilize the patient. Usually those patients need to go directly to the OR and it's mm-hmm. a very long, drawn-out surgery. The other thing they can do is something called Ruboa, where they pass a catheter, which is a lot less invasive. You go through the femoral artery, which is in your groin, and you pass a catheter up, and then you try to get it into the artery, and you inflate a balloon. does the same thing. And I think that's what he's trying to do. But usually in blunt traumas, we don't try to do all that stuff. Because there's too many... Too many too other many, factors. Yeah. Um, the likelihood of surviving something that is a blunt trauma is really low. So if you came into cardiac arrest after blunt trauma, we're not going to probably be able to do CPR and resuscitative methods as long as if you came in with a penetrating trauma. Because mm-hmm. we know the outcome is so bad that all we're doing is prolonging pain and agony. So that was nuts that he was trying to do all that stuff for a lady who got, quote-unquote, ran over by a taxi, who looked pretty good, but she did have sheets over her, so who knows. And the results of his cavalierness... He got suspended for four months. From med school. From med school. You get arrested for that, because you're <laughs> technically practicing medicine without a license, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're basically doing all the stuff a doctor who has had years and years of training... And you're doing all that without a license. And then he's like so mad. He's rebelling against the system. And he tries to escape his school through the window. How would you escape from med school? The front door. Oh. I know. You can do that. Wait, they don't keep you locked in like Hogwarts? No. I know, right? I mean, this school looked like Hogwarts. It did. Their anatomy lab had like all this fine art all over the place. The tables are not tanks. They're just straight up tables. So Mm -hmm. I don't know where all the juices go when you cut. Um, Probably into the paintings. Now, so is this, does the movie take place at Loyola or at fictional Loyola? Because it takes place in Chicago. It takes place in Chicago, filmed at Loyola, Mm -hmm. never mentioned where the school was. But this looks like Loyola in Chicago. Mostly because there's Jesus everywhere. There is Jesus everywhere. That is also, I think, the only Catholic um, medical school in Chicago, if I remember my Chicago... Um, my time living there. Yeah. Uh, you went, you did undergrad or? I went to med school out in med Chicago. School. So all eight medical schools in Chicago kind of know each other because we, they're all right there. Mm-hmm. So that's Do like. Do you have like of, fights? No, but there's definitely like 
this school's better than the other school and whatnot, and I don't fight. I'm like, yeah, my school's closer towards the bottom. But whatever, <laughs> that's fine. I still went to med school, so deal with it. So that's kind of that one. Also, uh, speaking of ambiance in medical school, this is the most poorly lit anatomy lab I've ever seen, ever. In an anatomy lab, uh huh. how important is it to see the things you're cutting up? Pretty important because we use the same bodies for our exams. Okay. So if you re- really did a crappy job of cutting and dissecting out what you're supposed to be looking at, when the the anatomy professor sets up all the tanks and then has an arrow pointing at it, and if your group is the one who did a really crappy job, it's going to be real hard to identify what that thing they were pointing at is. Plus, it dries out really badly. So constantly after every class, you're spraying down the body with formaldehyde and then zipping them up in a bag just to keep the moisture mm-hmm. in. It's like the flavor lock kind of thing. you got to keep all the flavor inside of that Do bag. you burp the bag like you would a Tupperware? Um, we, we use it so much that it never became an issue. But I don't. it's not decomposing, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just... It's been preserved already. The, the concern of decom- decomposition is pretty low. I think the biggest concern is when you cut into the abdomen and you're really sloppy. Because... Poop. Yeah. That's because been there for... For a long, long time. So we're actually taught how to milk the intestines and then tie off the ends and then cut at the um, distal ends of that tie to, pres- to keep everything in the sausage casing, if you get my joke. Oh, lovely. I know. That's a... I don't miss Once anatomy again, lab. Med school, a totally glamorous all the time. I don't miss anatomy lab. Like I remember leaving class and just smelling like formaldehyde. We had our own scrubs. Like we would never wear the clothes that they wore into anatomy lab because you are gonna get dirty mm-hmm. and it's gonna smell horrible. I mean, on the last day of anatomy lab, we burned all of our scrubs because it smelled so bad, and it caught fire pretty quickly. <laughs> The other thing is, after anatomy lab, none, none of us could really explain it. We're attributing it to the formaldehyde, but always really hungry after lab. Don't gross. Know, don't know why. It's like bar food. Yeah? Okay. That's gross. It that is, is gross. disgusting. Again, everyone thinks it's very glamorous. Not true at all. So after Kiefer gets uh, expelled, well, suspended, nope. briefly suspended. That was Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon. I confuse them because they look exactly alike. They have very similar hair, and that's where the... the the similarities. I, I can see. And Patrick Swayze, too. Yeah. Like, all three of the... Like, I mean, they have very roadhousey hair. Yes. Yes. Very much so. But Kiefer is really rounding up his friends because he really wants his friends to kill him. Mm-hmm. And I think he was very adamant about just doing his own thing and watching all of them stealing hospital equipment to bring into a church was kind of funny because... There's clearly not enough equipment to allow for something like this. They have like an oxygen tank, I'm assuming a nitrous tank, mm-hmm. and then a defibrillator and a box full of medications. And and the blanket. And the blanket and some sort of monitoring equipment. Well, I think what they did was they actually used the defibrillator monitor as the monitoring. Did equipment. they also have an EEG though? They did, but they barely used it after the first one. After the first scene. Which, that does not look like an EEG. That looks like a lie detector machine. <laughs> That's, it looks straight up like a polygraph. I it, mean, I don't know how they used to look like 20, 30 years ago. The ones now, obviously, are all connected to the computer with a mm-hmm. running kind of thing. But when you flatline, quote-unquote, your, your brain waves don't go super flat that quickly. 
it takes some time before there's no electrical activity in your brain. There's still nerves that are firing off or your neurons are still firing off. So you still get some kind of semblance of electric, electrical activity. This one just was like, beep, and gone. What did you think of the whole sedating him to do all this stuff? Well, if there's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast, it's that nitrous oxide is a horrible sedation tool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also, it doesn't really make sense to put the... It, it seems like it was the doctor's choice yeah. whether they put the, the gas over just the nose or the nose and the mouth. Yeah, and I think... For this, if you were going to a dentist, mm-hmm. that would be the appropriate choice is putting it just over the nose. And you have to constantly titrate it. You can't just give a slug of nitrous and then give them sodium pentothal and hope it just keeps them under for a while. And I think that was what they were trying to do was just sedate him a little bit. But mm-hmm. nitrous oxide is a horrible induction agent. With, by that, I mean, if you're getting someone ready to intubate them or something like that, you're still conscious with nitrous oxide. You're not out. The sodium pentothal might knock, mm-hmm. well, should knock you out. That's actually the first drug, I believe, or the second drug that, no, it's the first drug that they use in... In an execution? Le- yep, in lethal injection. So that's essentially what they're doing. Okay, so they they're, they got that part right at least. Yes. And their choice of murder of using the defibrillator. Yeah, but they had to cool them first. Okay. And they only put a blanket on them. A which, cooling blanket. A cooling blanket, which would work to keep you cold. As long as you have a beating heart that's circulating, mm-hmm. right? But... But you're killing someone, so that cooling blanket really will only keep your trunk cold, but not your head or anything like that. And I would assume that if you want to maintain coldness throughout, you should probably just immerse them or something Yeah. Like that. I mean, most important would be maintaining coldness yeah. of the brain. Correct. If you want to bring them back. Yeah. Yeah. And we and, do do cooling. Like, if Courtney was here, she couldn't explain it, too. But we do cool babies, like, that come mm-hmm. out that had um, what we call hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, where they come out and haven't been exposed to oxygen or was um, anoxic for a while. And they actually have them, give them a helmet that cools their brain down to preserve the brain from getting more damage. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the premises of why they're using that cooling blanket mm-hmm. is that you're a lot less likely to get brain damaged at 89 degrees than normal core temperature. I'm guessing that's what it is. But also, if you're cold enough, um, your heart starts going into weird rhythms, mm-hmm. too. Um, so it's kind of counterintuitive to drop your body temperature to the point where your heart has weirder rhythmias and then shock your heart Yeah, to kill you. Because... Ideally, what the shocking does is get you back into a normal rhythm. Yep. So you you fix the heart uh, by shocking. And I think what they were trying to do was shock it so that they go out of rhythm and then just flatline, which makes no sense at all. Okay. And then the the method to bring him back to life mm-hmm. was to rewarm the body and then shock him back into life. Again. Yeah. And occasionally epinephrine, occasionally in the scene. Correct. Um, there is a saying in the emergency room: um, "If you're not, you're not dead until you're warm and dead." Mm-hmm. So we'll get drowning victims that fall into a lake and are super cold. And once we slowly bring them back to life, like we might not be able to bring them back to life while they're cold, and we can't declare them yet. But if we bring them back to warmth, that's when all the nerves or all the electron pathways and mm-hmm. the um, chemical pathways and whatnot start working again. If we're not able to bring you back from then, that's when we declare you dead. Now, when you say they're super cold, though, what what kind of temperature are you talking? Below, like, I would say below 92. Oh, okay. So really, it is that. It's super low. cold is... Like, 
it isn't like room temperature. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's like just below a, ninety. Yeah, yeah but it, it's it's compare. It's not like when they said let's get you down to eighty nine degrees. That actually would be low enough to be, make a difference. Yeah. Okay. So you would actually you should be dead at that point because all your natural body functions slow down to a grinding stop. Mm-hmm. So you won't be able to make it back super well. So yeah, watching them do that was just ridiculous. And what did you think about how they give the nitrous oxide? It was varied whether it was over the nose or if it was over the mouth. I'm more talking about how they turned it all on and left it running for a while before oh, they yeah. put it... Oh, yeah. Everyone would be so high during that whole time. Could that explain why, you know, the rest of the movie? The fact that everyone was really high on nitrous oxide? And hallucinating the whole time. Yeah, we, I forget, we see that in The Simpsons. Yeah. I mean, even Kiefer Sutherland made a joke that said, you know, at least I'll go out with a laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, really? You're going to make that weird comment before like, you're going to try to die and maybe not come back to life? And I think it was funny that all his resuscitation was solely dependent on whether or not Kevin Bacon was there. His kindred spirit, his, the smartest unethical medical student in the entire school. Had with to the be same there. hair. With the same exact hair because they're hair buddies. And then the watching them resuscitate was kind of weird so you did mention that they tried to give epi and whether or not they i think at one point you were it looked like they were trying to give it through the mask yeah and we do do that sometimes but not for resuscitation that'd be for if somebody had a allergic reaction allergic reaction that's really bad but croup is the big one oh okay. um, and that's when they get something called strider where the it, it's like the tightening of the tissues in the neck and they have a hard time breathing in so it sounds like, like that. And when kids are upset, they make that mm-hmm. noise even louder. So we give them racemic epinephrine, and that actually reduces inflammation in the neck. Okay. But also, if you think about it, if you had a really bad anaphylaxis, neck tissues might also swell. That also can help reduce inflammation at the same time as we're giving them an EpiPen. But if you're, if you're dead... If you're dead... You're not going to inhale. Nope. You're not going to get the epinephrine. Correct. I mean, in babies, we do sometimes put it down their ET tube, mm-hmm. um, the endotracheal tube, their breathing tube. It's rare when we do that because we don't know what the absorption rate is or mm-hmm. if they have other stuff in their lungs that make it hard for them to get that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But it is a less than desired route of administration for epinephrine. Also, it's highly unlikely that they just have a switch, a, a nitrous to epi yeah, switch just, on the mask. I mean, that would be hilarious if there was just one gigantic switch at this turn it from nitrous to epi and that's what weight it's basically work. like the the coke machine at the movies now where yeah. you just pick it's a freestyle you want coke. yeah it's a freestyle you want coke zero you want epinephrine you want nitrous oxide you want oxygen that would make an anesthesiologist's job so easy <laughs> at that point just press in all the stuff that they want they do have everything in their anesthesia machine where they can turn knobs and whatnot not that bad though and then the pads the pads or the paddles drive me nuts right they do the clicky thing the clicky thing, fine. But it's not the clicky thing. It's Well, it's the rubby clicky right. thing. Where they're constantly rubbing the paddles on top of each other with no gel. Like, that's the real reason why you're rubbing paddles. It's not because you're charging it up by doing that. You need to distribute the gel so that you can apply it onto their chest. Mm-hmm. And that's what the reason why we used to rub the paddles. Now we use stickers but stickers way easier yeah but that this was before the 90s and before lisa frank when when stickers were everywhere yeah. oh god i forgot about those until right now right when you said it and i'm picturing just rainbow stickers everywhere licensing option right there it is i'm gonna license what flatliner lisa frank stickers yeah they'll look beautiful keep her coming back 
So they did. They did save Kiefer. I mean, mm-hmm. that would be the shortest movie in the world if they didn't save Kiefer. Yeah, he acted so normal. Well, yeah, and they all did. They all did. But you don't recover from brain damage that easily, right? And that's that's I think something that they completely overlook is mm-hmm. if you're brain dead, you're obviously also brain damaged. Yeah, your brain's not exactly frozen and waiting. For something to wake it up. It's not like turning off your computer. Yeah. There's a reason why Walt Disney's head is still frozen. Because if you left it open, it would probably just rot. So he still has a frozen head because that's what's preserving his brain from getting worse and worse. (laughs) Allegedly. 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 Disney's going to come after us now. That's okay. But, I mean, these are are rumors about Walt Disney's brain. I don't know if it's there. Ted Williams definitely has a frozen brain. <laughs> yes. That, if you want me to use that example, Ted Williams' brain is still frozen right now. Ted Williams won't come up. The, the Ted Williams estate will not be coming after us no. for this one. No, they will not. But it's funny because he just has a celebratory walk like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Bacon reassesses him in the streets, listening to his heart one more time, making sure he's still alive. Why not just do that in the room after you saved his life? Why? Creepy bad lighting. Yeah, that's probably right. Well, there would be better lighting on the streets of Chicago. Fair enough. Especially that neighborhood. It did not look like a um, savory neighborhood, to say the least. And I lived there. (laughs) So I can say stuff like that. There were some other things, too, in there. Well, let me toss that back to you. Like, what else did you notice? Since we've been doing this podcast now for probably two months now, over two months. The recovery thing that you that you already brought up was yeah. was the big one, and yeah. the fact that nothing that we see in movies is gonna immediately be recovered from. No, I think for once it was a scene where we saw the right around amount of blood, Which, and that there was none. Yeah, there. Well, there shouldn't be any. Right. Because um, no one had any kind of. Well, I will say the trauma scene needed more blood. Okay. Because if you're going to go cut someone's aorta or cross clamp... They're going to be bleeding everywhere. That's why you're doing it. Correct. I did notice that the defibrillators left no burns whatsoever, even when they used them over Julia Roberts' bra. Seriously. Like, that looked horrible. <laughs> There's So you have problems with conduction mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but if she was wearing an underwire or anything like that, she'd have the worst burns on her chest from all of that right mm-hmm. there. And... But then that's the one flat line that went wrong because the power went out. Right. And everyone in this movie does the crappiest CPR I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. They even, at one point in time, stop CPR to decide what they're going to do next. Yep. And then continue counting at the number of seconds that they left off. Yes. And they were doing uh, compressions at a rate of 5 to 1, which is definitely not the current recommendation. When you say compressions, that you mean five to one, you mean five compressions, so one five breath. pumps on the chest, then one breath. And yep. What's the... It's now 15 to two. 15 to two? Yeah. So you have to count halves? No, it's like, you're doing it at the uh-huh. beat of staying alive, so you're doing, going pretty quick, and then after you hit 15, it's breaths. Okay. Then it's 15 and two. Oh, That's two, what, oh it's, it's 15 and then two breaths, as yeah. opposed to two breaths during those 15 counts. Correct. It's not yeah. seven and a half. That's, and, that's two rescuer. If you had one rescuer, it would be 30 to one. Okay. Because compression, or 30 to two, because compressions are more important than breaths. Because compressions are what keeping what's keeping things circulating. Exactly. And it doesn't matter how much oxygen you're getting in, yeah. if... If you, there's no, no oxygen circulating around your right. body. And that's why people now recommend doing only compression CPR mm-hmm. and not even with rescue breaths. Because that's the big deterrent for 
bystanders to do CPR on someone who dropped dead in the in the field, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to put my mouth on some dirty person I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'll push on their chest right. for sure. And that's like the big thing um, that they're trying to move towards. But the, them, they were going like one one compression every second because they were mm-hmm. counting one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand. Super slow. And then the breath that they did was essentially if you were checking to see if you had enough gas in your tire. Or your air <laughs> in your tire. It's just... Pssst. So that gives no time for the air to enter the lungs uh-huh. and come out. Because if you're trying to do the the rescue breath, it's, you're essentially breathing deep down, mm-hmm. letting the chest rise, and then giving time for the chest to go back to normal or recoil before you give another breath and then recoil. And so the what, the what the breath is doing is not pushing your breath, your exhalations into the patient. Uh-huh. It's pushing Whatever. your exhalations and all the air that's in their mouth and all around as well. Yeah. yeah. So you're giving time for your lungs to expand. Because if you think yeah. about it, if you're doing a bat, like if you breathe really quick and just go, <gasps> you're not really mm-hmm. doing any kind of lung exchange. If you're exercising and you did that kind of breath, you'd be passed out already, yeah. right? You're taking deep, very full breaths. And that's what you need for oxygen to enter your body. Mm-hmm. The breaths that they did were super ineffectual. <laughs> super ineffective. And even the and then um, the other part of CPR that never works is I called it the Kiefer punch because Kiefer like really there beat were them. there were ten solid like, separate punches to the patient yeah to Billy Baldwin and then Kiefer took the punches all right too. let's forgive punching Billy Baldwin yeah he deserves it yeah sorry Billy Baldwin he's gonna probably come after he of all people may sue <laughs> so I'm sorry but he definitely just needed a like, I don't... I've never done the punches. Mm-hmm. The, there are certain situations where you can do a cardiac thump. Those are not cardiac thumps. The, yeah, yeah the, the, those are rage hits. Those are full-on rage hits. Like, cardiac thumps, if you were in a weird rhythm, sometimes if you do a really good hit to the mm-hmm. heart, it jolts it enough that it goes back into a regular rhythm. There's no rhythm there. He's just full-on taking it out of his anger. He's doing what they did in the abyss. Yeah. And just full-on... Cussing him out, telling him to come back to life, and just slamming on the chest. And I think that was big in the early 90s was rage CPR. We don't see as much rage CPR. Or rage <laughs> against the machine, for that matter, which is just a shame. Another thing that I noticed was, so they, because they're doing this as pseudoscientific research, mm-hmm. they're extending the amount that everyone is dead, yeah. the amount of time, yeah. to the point where... I think Julie, uh, Julia Roberts is under for more than five minutes. Yeah. Like, is planned to be under for more than five minutes. But they stopped it early. They wanted to stop it early mm-hmm. at two minutes. But then mishaps happen, and right. it goes on for, like, five or six minutes. Yeah. Um, and then Kiefer Sutherland is under for nine. Nine. At, uh, in his final flatlining. Correct. So, at nine minutes, you've... You it, look dead. Well, yeah. That's the thing. No one looked dead. They all were very pink and perfused. Mm-hmm. How they should all be like pretty pale and like whitish or just pale in general. No one looked pale at that point, so that was kind of a weird thing. And then I'm trying to think what else I wrote. Like I wrote a lot about this random stuff. I think the other part too was if we want to go back to just a different flatline was Kevin Bacon's flatline. No one did compressions, and then. When they looked on the EKG, someone just yells, he's in V-fib, but that heart rate is a normal heart rate. <laughs> and then they were going to go shock him again. 
he's technically if they didn't feel a pulse which no one checked for pulses in this entire movie they all checked if you came back to life by putting your ear next to their their mouth to see if there was breathing <laughs> i mean that's what that's how they check if the pope is dead i don't know if you know that <laughs> yeah they, they put, put a, a mirror they put a nose. mirror to see if there's like vapor vapor coming out so they're essentially doing pope death moves to see if the patient's still alive or not but you should be checking pulses and no one's checked pulses at all during this entire code so that's how you don't know if someone's in pea or if they really are having the heart rate again pea pulseless electrical activity so you might sometimes see what looks like a normal heart rate on the monitor but you can't feel pulses so that means the electrical activity is going through the heart but the muscle the heart's not actually moving yeah and that's the most confusing thing because sometimes when you're in a code situation, your adrenaline's going, so you can't tell if that's your pulse or the mm-hmm. patient's pulse. Um, so what Oliver Platt did was he was listening to the heart and trying to listen to see if he can hear the heart beating again. That's hard, too, because if everyone's screaming around you and is in chaos, you might not even hear that. You might hear, again, your own pulse. Because uh-huh. I don't know if you've been to the point where you're like super stressed out and you're lying down and oh, you yeah. can hear your own pulse. Again, you don't know. These days, we do ultrasound at bedside, mm-hmm. so we'll slap it on if we're about to call a code and see if there's any kind of motion in, in the heart, and if there isn't, and we've done everything we could, that's when we would call a code. So those are tough times. Sometimes I will bring the family in mm-hmm. right before I'm about to call a code, show them that the heart's not moving anymore, mm-hmm. and then they'll be at, they'll be okay with me stopping uh, resuscitative methods at that point. Because that's, like, uh, real-life codes are violent. This this looked like the cleanest, relatively calm. I mean, they were still panicky, but relatively They, they weren't still. panicky, though. They were angry at each other. Yes. Well, I'd be angry, too, if my classmate told me, hey, try to kill me. I'll bring you back to life. You won't get in trouble, though. Pinky, we signed a paper. Yeah, pinky promise. No, no court's going to let me go through that. I killed somebody. Like, there's no way anyone would stay calm in this in that situation. There's no opt-in to murder? No, absolutely not. Especially with medical students. And especially not in the 90s before Dr. Kevorkian and all the... This was like peak Kevorkian, by the way. This was pre-Kevorkian, I think. Well, peak Kevorkian in terms of like Kevorkian... Oh, him actually working? Yeah. This is peak Kevorkian killing time. But they get busted on so many things. So murder, Mm -hmm. theft, Mm -hmm. uh, practicing without a medical license. Breaking into a church. Breaking and entering. And I think those are probably the big ones. Uh... Being Billy Baldwin? Yeah. Escaping school. Or yeah. escaping med school. Yeah. That'll get you a couple that's, months. That's a felony. Yeah, that'll get you a couple months right there. Especially I mean, if you're already suspended. Man, that could be like a five-month suspension. Swear, we need to put that clip of just Kevin Bacon rappelling out of the window trying to get out. Because it's the most ridiculous-looking scene. Because I've, I've never seen anyone escape school that way. Let alone med school. Like, we did not sign a contract that we have to stay in medical school. Like, right. And that means that for four months, like, let's say you lived in the dorms, that this is undergrad. Okay. And you live in I the mean, dorms. I lived in the dorms in med school. Yeah. You live in the dorms. Okay. And you're suspended. Yeah. You're probably not still going to be eligible for housing, especially not the totally designed, like, his housing was also fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yo, no, you'd be kicked out. You gotta live home with your parents, and your parents are gonna be real pissed. Like, I'm looking at the student housing right now. It's it's like a fancier... Actually, funny story. My friends live there. Oh, really? Yeah, I just recognized that building. I picked up people from there. So it is, it's 
Because it's Loyola campus? It's near Loyola campus. It's not like Loyola campus, but it's some apartment buildings near that area. It's in the, the medical district because there's three hospitals right next to each other in downtown Chicago. It's where you go for your medicine? I mean, if you have trauma, there's like two trauma centers right next to each other. One of them is the ER, the ER one, isn't it? It's Cook County, now mm-hmm. known as John Stroger. Yep. Uh, because I- John Wells was... Didn't pay enough to get the naming right. Stroger is like I forgot the story. He's like some famous. He's like a big guy in Chicago. I don't remember the whole thing. I worked there once. Their ER is crazy. It's like six different ERs in one ER because it's so massive. Do you have people that go to that ER for the same reason people go to Cheers in Boston? Oh, it's a tr- to visit. Yeah. Well, the original Cook County Hospital is like torn down. Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, they use. The, I think the last thing they used it for was to film Public Enemies with Johnny Depp and someone else. I forgot. Mm-hmm. I think Christian Bale. That was the last thing they used for it. After that, it's pretty much just like knocked down. That place is like horribly run down and whatnot. Aww. Yeah, the new one looks really nice. But I remember seeing the first time I walked in there, I had a patient just go, "Where's the bathroom?" And I go, "I'm not sure, sir." And just pulls down his pants and just poops there. I'm like, well, I guess the bathroom's there, sir. Have a good day. And just walked on. Because you might have a nice veneer and it might look beautiful. But an ER is still an ER. You will still have your crazy people just pooping everywhere. (laughs) That is just the life I have lived in now. Oh, can we talk about the last flatline? The the nine-minute flatline? The nine-minute flatline. How Kiefer solo flatlines. Yeah. And... He gives himself nitrous by himself and then injects himself. Yeah, in, the... in yeah, he injects himself with a gigantic Gi- syringe yeah. of. Uh, I think we they do say that it's sodium pentothal for that one. They, it was either that or potassium. Yeah, oh, potassium. Yes, that one's I think potassium. I think that's when he used potassium. So potassium's going to burn. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt like hell. Um, injecting that much volume into your elbow you basically just blew all your veins at that point so he wouldn't have like this massive bubble of fluid in his uh, elbow. this massive bubble of mostly potassium and a little bit of blood yeah and shocks will not save you at that point if you have an over um if you're hyperkalemic at that level no way you're gonna come back that's actually mm-hmm. how they kill you with lethal injection so i remembered i had a patient like this in residency where he had, like, cancer, and then someone gave him steroids and caused all of his ster- um, tumor cells to burst all at once. And it released a massive amount of potassium into his heart. Mm-hmm. Or into his bloodstream. And my intern had it, and my the nurses go, can you look at the potassium level? I think something's wrong. A normal potassium level is between three and a half and five. His was eight. And my, mes- or my intern was just going, I don't know what's wrong. Give it to Jackson. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him like, oh, damn. This kid's going to die any second. Their EKG have, like, weird waves where they're super pointed. Mm-hmm. And if you have that, that's, like, textbook hyperkalemia. So I had to, like, give that kid insulin, which drives the potassium back into the cells. K-axalate, which is something you shoot up their butt to soak up more potassium, giving them fluids, giving them sugar water because the insulin is driving down this glucose. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of work to stabilize it. I had to give them calcium to stabilize the heart muscles. Sometimes bicarb might be helpful in this situation, but all of it was spent around stabilizing the heart muscles. And if he had that high, if Kiefer Sutherland had that high of a potassium blood level, he would be dead and there's no way they would have brought him back to life. Even if he was forgiven by the The, the, kid he he beat up in in grade school. I mean, it looked like they all gave up Mm -hmm. at that point. You know, they like tried resuscitating him for nine minutes already. No epi was given. Or sorry, they tried giving him epi. They tried giving him atropine. 
Julia Roberts tried to intubate him but said his trachea is too tight. I don't know what that word means. <laughs> I don't like the way she put in the blade and all that stuff. It looked backwards, so it looked completely wrong. So maybe the trachea was tight because she did it wrong. Um, but if you're dead, you're not in rigor mortis at this mm-hmm. point. You're you're still pretty loosey-goosey. You can easily put a tube in. But again, I think this is probably because she's a med student and she mm-hmm. doesn't know any better. They gave her they gave him a crap ton of epi. Four milligrams is quite a bit for someone his size. And then um, Julia Roberts commits the cardinal sin of wanting to inject stuff into his heart. And that is a cardinal sin because, as we've covered before, when you inject things into the heart, then you've got a hole in the heart. Correct. She tried to Uma Thurman him. Right. Except he's way meatier than Uma Thurman. That's true. So at least we wouldn't have the needle going directly through... But you would still have the issue of, okay, now you've got a heart that's beating and pumping blood outside of itself. Yep. So they, they basically turned this attempted murder into full murder nice. at that point. Well, attempted suicide into full murder. Sorry. Murder. Attempted assisted suicide. Yeah. To well, he, was th- he was there on his own. If they didn't touch him, it would have been a suicide. Yes. But then they, tra- then they, would, have tra- they would have murdered him because yeah. they would have done all that stuff. And then, of course, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer punches him a bunch too. Yep. And cannot save him until he sees whatever it was in the afterlife or right, whatever. Yeah. He, he sees the kid that he bullied into accidental, that, that he manslaughter bullied uh, and is forgiven by yeah. that kid and his dog. Yeah, and then he came back to life by falling out of the tree and then when he landed and in a grave died, yeah, yeah, that's when he came back. Yeah. This movie's garbage. <laughs> well, let's... Let's talk about how we would make a movie about you killing all your med student friends more medically accurate. Uh, first off, I wouldn't do it. Okay. Uh, second, I know they tried to redo this. Yes, they did. With Ellen Page. And I think, spoiler I... alert, Ellen Page dies <laughs> in that movie. Um, this is all horrible. How would I make this better? I guess the trauma scene, the first part, I would just not have a medical student doing that. But if you want to do it like the show The Resident... Just explain what you're doing and actually use the right material. Mm -hmm. You know, have a patient in a controlled situation. Like, even if we were in this chaotic scene where someone's dying and I need to do this cross-clamping of the aorta, I have backup before I even cut. Because if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. So I would have anesthesia there. I'd have my surgeons there. I'd have everybody who I need to be there be there before I do this. Even if they're crashing, you can still support them with fluids and blood before you need to cut because mm-hmm. that's so invasive there's no turning back it's so much easier to give them fluids to pump up their blood pressure again to keep them medically stable before you do something like that right so that's what i would do from that part in terms of flatlining i'm not i i'm like dumbfounded about the flatlining part i don't know how they do it in the second movie uh how they mm-hmm. their, their methods to flatline somebody Maybe not the nitrous part, but maybe the nitrous makes them more relaxed that they can do the sodium pentothal. You can use like other medications that are easier to control, like Versed, and you can spray that in their nose, and that'll keep them calm too. And then you can start an IV and do all the medications. Shocking them is not going to kill them right away. <laughs> and and when they do, they're going to die from it's something gonna, that's it's not. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like hell. Oh, I forgot to mention too, like the the amount of jewels that they're using and just. Cavalierly, sho- cavalierly shocking people, it's going to cause muscle damage too because that's burns. Mm-hmm. They're going to have muscle breakdown at some of those areas too. 
recovering from a CPR or a cardiac arrest is not as simple as getting up and resuming your day. Yeah. You are done for that day or week. Like it takes days to recover from something like this if you recover. Right, because CPR has a good chance of breaking ribs. Correct. Um, the whole, you know, massive stress upon your body. Mm-hmm. Your body's already starting to break down because of no oxygen so everything's going haywire on that part your brain's not happy your breathing's not happy there's nothing happy that's going on right now so the triumphant breakfast club style walk that they all had after the first flatlining would never happen (laughs) because that's what it looked like um they all were walking out hands linked super happy i'm sure someone did a fist bump at some point Never would happen. In Don't you flatline me? Oh yeah, there's your quote. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently, I think it was Keith, either Kiefer Sutherland or Kevin Bacon in mm-hmm. talking about the movie in interviews, just called it "The Breakfast Club Dies." I think that is appropriate because they all look like a bunch of social misfits. Yeah, that eventually kill themselves to learn what's going on, right. and then they all bring themselves back to life, and now are all bonded for life. With this crazy, silly event. This movie just reminds me how much I love Oliver Platt. And we need to talk about the West Wing and how they handle uh, President Bartlett's MS and hiding it at some point in time. Yeah, we definitely need to do that at some point. We haven't touched enough TV yet. Yeah. I think we've only done like Seinfeld on The Office, Mm our only TV shows. And Star Trek. And Star Trek, so three. So we got to touch on more TV. So definitely West Wing is next on the... Well, not next, but... I don't know what's next yet. Um, well, we've got, we've got more of Horror-tober. Horror-tober. Um, <laughs> and, uh, let's, well, yeah, we've got other things in the works, too. We'll have many very special episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I don't suggest people watch this one. This movie's not good. It's not... I... I pref- hot take. I preferred last week's movie more than this week's you movie. You prefer Human Centipede to Flatliners. It had charm compared to this movie. Oh, I... Okay. It was hilarious. I thought it was funny. Not the just the whole explanation and how overacted it was. That's why it was funny. This tried to be way too serious for what it was. Mm-hmm. Like Human Centipede understood that this is a movie about eating poop. It's gonna be silly and fu- like tongue in cheek. This is like we are revolutionizing medicine by creating this whole thing, and everyone's way too serious. Yeah. This it's the the scientific gravitas. Of these characters is Too probably much. the funniest aspect of it. Of this yeah. uh, flatliners, yeah, yeah. Everyone's way too into themselves, and way thinks very highly of themselves. Mm-hmm. They all are going to be horrible doctors because they are, think way too highly of themselves. No one's going to ever want to be their patient because they are going to talk down to everybody that they see. <laughs> They're going to be horrible. Don't watch it. Uh, so yeah, uh, apparently it's a. A two thumbs down from from Jackson Vane mm-hmm. on, on a scale of uh, what was our how medically accurate yeah, is this? A, you know how many cranks is it? How many cranks? Yeah, it's like 0.5 crank, man. All right, I can't I can't recommend this movie. Crank, yeah, we still got to do Crank two after Horror. We do. Oh, I'm so excited for Crank two. That's gonna be good. Um, thanks, folks. As always, uh, help us out. Spread the word. Um, if you have questions or anything, uh, shoot us a note. Hi, everybody. MD. Or at Hi Everybody MD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yep. Hi Everybody Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. So we look forward to seeing all your questions. We'll, yep. we'll definitely have one where we'll address all the questions and concerns that everyone has had. Yeah. But for now, please keep spreading the word and we'll, lis- we'll see you next, next week. week.
Cool. Thank you. Thanks, folks.